The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is that time again for another Afternoons with Mike right here on the Shepherd Radio Network. And I'm happy to be joined in the studio today with my friend Sean Sullivan from Mission 823. And that is a mission work that reaches out to Ukraine. And boy, oh boy, you know, I remember it's been almost a year ago since that invasion. I think, what, February 24th? Yes, sir. That was the date, right? Okay. February 24th, you and I were talking on the line because obviously our time and, and we were talking early, as I remember, yeah. it might have been 7 a.m. Eastern. But during the night, the invasion had hit hard and heavy from yeah. Russia on Ukraine. And we were talking that day, and it, it was a surprising thing. And I, I think we've all learned a lot about the uh, maybe the the fortitude of uh, President Zelensky, yeah. the willingness to sacrifice of the Ukrainian people. And they have stood up against what seemed at that time formidable opposition. Yeah, yeah, that's but, right. But they've uh, they've shown that uh, they're not to be messed with. They've demonstrated quite a bit of not only resilience but capability against all odds and against the uh, the judgment of the entire world. Uh, two two things became readily apparent. Um, when the three-day war of Russia did not uh, did not end with uh, Russian occupation and control of Ukraine, and and those two things were this: that the world power that the world had counted Russia to be, uh, for example, when I served in the Navy in in the Cold War doing uh, special operations in submarines mm-hmm. against yeah. Russian forces, you know, they were a considered to be a world power, a formidable force, one of the greatest militaries in the world. And that has proven to be absolutely and completely false. Mm-hmm. That's a, a constructed narrative that the world has bought into and tiptoed around for literally a century. Well, part of it would be the fact that they are holders of nuclear weapons. That has been a deterrent factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that even in psychopathy or or uh, or demon possession they would be bold enough to push that button let's hope that's the case um but uh, there there are factors that deter them from using uh using that as well the other thing that we found out was that not only was russia not the world superpower you know ivan drago and rocky i will break you you know <laughs> you know this is the kind of cold war mentality we we grew up with that russia was not that um, and they continue to daily demonstrate their ineptitude on the battlefield. And so they're losing ground on a daily basis. But Ukraine, starting from scratch, because their military had been intentionally downgraded by their Russian-leaning administration prior to the Maidan revolution, um, and they were starting over with next to nothing. Most of their fleet and their uh, archive of um, uh, vehicles and materials and things like that had all been mothballed intentionally to downgrade their capabilities. And their military had been laid off and, and depleted intentionally. And on February the 24th, well, I guess going back to February 2014, when Russia began mm-hmm, the right. actual attack, uh, the first uh, attacks, this we call an escalation. Um, but in February of 2014, Ukraine began from scratch to rebuild their personnel and their equipment and their technology and capabilities to such a degree that now they're the envy of the entire world. Uh, they're producing technologies now that specialists from the United States and other places in the world are going to learn about their new technologies they've been developed and learn about their new techniques. One of those is their extraordinary sniper school skills, which United States sniper special operators are going to Ukraine to learn right now. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, really, it it truly is to think about what this country there, you know, that once was part of the USSR. Uh, has been so instrumentally used, not only uh, for good, but I think in many ways used by God to 
be the breadbasket of that area of yeah. the world right now. And some would say beyond that area, uh, the grains, the, the technologies of farming, uh, they've, in many ways, they have perfected the farming thing that America used to be so good at, but not right. so much anymore, right? Yeah, they've excelled on, on two fronts after their declared independence in 1991. Um, Ukraine, really in a free market economy from a commercial standpoint, began to excel at innovation, at adaptation, at technologies. And so they have demonstrated a, a tremendous leap forward in their ability to, in a fair and equitable way, crushing corruption as they go, because we're all learning, um, develop a free market economy that is extraordinarily investable right now. Um, so on that front, they've made tremendous leaps forward, um, rivaling, you know, first world nations all over, all over, the, all over the globe. Uh, the other thing is that, uh, so in a commercial perspective, Ukraine has become this center of the world geopolitically and geographically that's very, very investable. They Explain what you mean by that. What I mean is that um, their location in the world, commercially, and then I'll explain spiritually, but commercially, their location in the world is the bridge literally between Russia and China and Europe and Russia and China and the Middle East. They are literally in the crosshairs of everything that transpires in that entire region of the world. They're the land barrier, if you will, to commerce and trade and politics in the entire region. And that's part of the reason why what Russia wanted to be there so much. Right. Not necessarily to exploit their resources. That's a secondary goal. Their mm -hmm. primary goal would be to build a no man's land buffer between the free thought of the West and the corruption and dictatorship of the East. They want a barrier. That's why they're so... Plus again, the port there, that's they, there. They, they would. And they've always had access since the Soviet times to the Black Sea under treaties and agreements. But now they're taking extraordinary steps to cut off all other nations from having use of the, uh, the Black Sea and that sort of thing. So it's become very violent. Um, the other perspective that makes Ukraine so strategic and valuable in the world is their spiritual influence in the region. For example, when the Soviet Union fell apart in the late 80s and the early 90s in 1991, when many of these countries declared their independence, uh, Ukraine and all of the other Baltics. members mm -hmm. of the, the former Soviet Union became mm -hmm. these uh, open roads for Christian ministry to just pour into that part of the country and begin to have influence and begin to share the gospel in that region. And almost every other former nation of the Soviet Union um, has kind of downgraded and gone backwards, uh, back towards a very strong uh, authoritative, uh, dictatorial type of control of religion and all that sort of thing. And only Ukraine, with the exception of the Baltic states, you mm -hmm. know, Estonia, Latvia, mm -hmm. Lithuania, uh, and Poland, you know, they've always been, uh, they've been free. But the, the hardcore Soviet center states, all the Stans, for example, um, have pretty much gone back to a very, very hard line persecutorial type of stance towards the Christian community in prosecuting and persecuting the church, whereas Ukraine has continued to develop their freedom towards the expression of religions of all types. Uh, for example, I, I, just got a, um, I just got a post from a friend in Ukraine uh, showing that a Muslim cleric uh, a sheikh from a mosque in Kiev was fighting alongside the chaplain corps of the Protestant faiths in uh, in Ukraine, fighting for Ukraine together. Isn't that something? Yeah, I mean, so there's expression of uh, uh, faith, expression of religion, and the ability to be able to conduct all of those types of services for their people in, under almost any denomination or religious faith background that I can think of in Ukraine. Religious liberty in Ukraine has produced some of the best pastors and missionaries for the entire region, not just for Ukraine. And they're, they're seemingly fearless. Yeah. These people are out there, even with the threat of uh, bombings. And not only is it a threat, in many instances, 
that that bombing actually happened in, in their very neighborhoods yeah, hasn't stopped them one iota no. from their work to reach out to the people. Well, and and not just their uh, diligence and their perseverance, their resilience to continue to provide services to help people, but their attitude about this is a stark contrast to what you see, you know, the the angry bitterness will crush you, we'll send missiles and rockets. You know, these are daily talk show think tanks in Russia that are saying, we're going to send missiles to Washington, we're going to bomb Berlin, Mm -hmm. we'll be taking over Krakow, Poland, you know, shortly. This antagonistic, just violent, psychopathic type of language from people who have literally no capability or purpose for being in any of those places. And Ukraine, while they're under attack, you know, the public posts from every sector, from the religious sector, from the government sector, from the public, uh, the, the private sector, you see this, we're going to be right and do right and be the light of the world yeah. and the light of God. So their their basic attitude and thrust is we're going to be the light in the midst of all of this darkness around us. And they're doing a really consistent job of doing that. They really are. You know, Sean, I just have to pause and say, if you've just tuned in, folks, this is Sean Sullivan with me today. Sean is from the Central Florida area uh, in the Okoe Winter Garden area. And that's where Sean lives. But he is the leader of this this missionary organization called Mission 823. You were an interesting guest, even 2019 when I met you and had you on my program back then. I loved having you on and listening to what you did. You taught me more than I ever knew about Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I, I referred to it as the Ukraine still back in the day. Yeah. And you were the guy that said, no, Mike, it's that's wrong and here's why. <laughs> and so I've learned so much from you, but I, I'm thinking that the ministry that you had, as important as it was, and it still is, the ministry to the children and to the young families and, and helping orphans and all of the things that you've been a part of historically there, it's almost like God put his spotlight on not only your ministry, but on the whole nation of Ukraine right. in ways that we weren't quite ready for. Right. Yeah. I, I remember watching the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, when he was an actor and he was acting out in this play that was that's available, I guess, still on American TV. And and he's a former actor. You you gotta start thinking of Reagan in a lot of ways, who also was a great leader, but a for, a former actor. But what he acted out in so many ways became real life. Yeah, he really did. He was an actor and a comedian whose final, uh, I guess, uh, position acting uh, in, gig. in the acting world, his final gig was uh, portraying the office of the president of Ukraine in a comedic form. But yeah. It was a sitcom in Ukraine that he was the president, and then he became the president. And how does that happen, Sean? <laughs> I don't know. Reagan did it. Yes, Reagan and did they, it. And they both turned out to be... Pretty good statesman. I just will never understand it. But here he is out there. Not only, um, some would say he wasn't qualified to do what he was doing back then. And I think most people today would say he is eminently qualified to be doing what he's doing. Yeah, many times in politics, and we, we saw this with Donald Trump, and that's not an, a, that's not an endorsement for him. I mean, um, it just goes to show that Many times, the thing that we need in order to see the truth and see what needs to be accomplished is somebody that has never done that before because uh-huh. they have yeah. cl- they have clear eyes, they have clear vision. And Zelensky, in this case, has been somebody that was laughed at, was ridiculed, made some young, early, inexperienced mistakes. But then when the war escalation started on February the 24th has demonstrated himself, and even before that in the Donbass, when it was restricted to the Donbass region, uh, has demonstrated himself to be a man of extraordinary character and passion and commitment and willing to sacrifice and risk his own life in order to demonstrate the, you know, his commitment to his people. When when we were in Ukraine, we'll get back to this in, in a little bit, but just for an example of his tenacity and his commitment, 
Um, we were with our team in the city of Avdivka. We were uh, delivering humanitarian aid, doing some evacuations of some senior citizens who were not uh, mobile. And there's artillery fire. That picture that I just showed you with the Santa Claus type character mm -hmm. uh, was in the city of Avdivka. And there are explosions on either side of us. We're kind of in the middle of a uh, an artillery barrage going back and forth between the Ukrainians and and the Russians, and there's occasional rocket fire. So we would, you know, kind of duck, duck your head, yeah. duck, duck briefly, but yeah. we're all wearing ballistic protection. That's never happened before in the history of our organization or any mission that I've been associated with. But our, our team all wears, when we go into those areas, ballistic vests and ballistic helmets, and we carry IFAC, you know, first aid kits uh, for the military and that sort of tourniquets, you know, learning how to use a tourniquet, learning how to use a mm -hmm. chest seal, using how to use a nasopharyngeal, you know, using an Israeli bandage that, that, that would have never crossed my mind before. So we're there doing that type of work, delivering wood burning stoves, delivering medical supplies, water filters and evacuating people, artillery fire present, but not too close. And at the same time that we were there, hotter than that region was the most conflicted area of Ukraine right now is the city of Bakhmut. And President Zelensky, while we were in Avdivka, was in Bakhmut. He's right in the middle of Under it. fire, greeting the troops and encouraging oh, the troops. He's a man of character. Yeah. And, and so many people that mocked him, I think, are now stepping back and saying, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Because this guy's got more courage than most. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess... Uh, a lot of people were surprised by his recent visit to the U.S. where yeah. he was welcomed by the Congress, welcomed by President Biden. Yeah. And he shows up there uh, looking like he's wearing a, a sweatshirt, basically, is what it looked like. Yeah. It was fatigues. What's interesting is before he showed up to that, I, w I was in, uh, in uh, Ukraine and my team had purchased some things for me, they're uh, they're grateful, you know, they're appreciative, and they wanted to surprise me and give me a gift. And they gave me a sweatshirt with that trizub, with that trizub tri <laughs> uh, emblem on it, and I was wearing it around uh, in in Ukraine. Uh, and uh, Dr. Garneri from the National De-escalation De Training Center is doing PTSD and de-escalation work with us in Ukraine at a national scale. Uh, he was also wearing one of these uh, sweatshirts, and and uh, and then we saw on the news that President Zelensky <laughs> arrived in Washington, and some of the news media won't mention names unless you care to later, but some of the news media went nuts about his disregard for decorum yeah. and his yeah. disrespect and how you know immature that. No, that man's at war. Yeah, that's just crazy, isn't yeah. it? And he he came wearing a wearing a uh, a sweatshirt that represented the heart and the fight and the struggle of Ukrainian people. And I yeah. salute him for for being himself and being in the moment. That was uh, that was a good a good move. I think that's just one little moment there where we can say is he's not taken with the whole thing. Yeah. He's not taken with the whole decorum. He's not taken with. Uh, the whole need to impress people is a man that's free from that kind of right. fear of man. It reminds me of the conversation that he had with um, our president when uh, there was an offer for evacuation. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily disrespect those things, but he there's a time and a place and he's at a moment in life and in the, in the life of his nation where he wants to represent the struggle of his people and the stance of his people to fight back against injustice. And so he wore his war time uh, clothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it reminds me of the conversation that he had with Biden about uh, potential for evacuation. And President Zelensky, in true sweatshirt fashion, said, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Right. Right. <laughs> so that's what he was saying yeah. when he arrived in that beautiful sweatshirt. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Sean Sullivan is my guest. We'll be back with Sean in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Back with Sean Sullivan from Mission 823, a mission that does a lot of work. Uh, to families, to orphans, helping the whole trafficking situation, everything in, involved with these uh, these orphanages that Sean Sullivan has worked out 
uh, worked with and reached out to in Ukraine for years. Uh, on February 24th, I had him on my program on that morning, February 24th, 2022, a day that I don't think I'll ever forget because it was one of those modern times where war has broken out on a major scale and it looked like it was going to go an entirely different way yep. in those early days. None of us knew at that point in time now what we know today. Right about A, the resilience, as we've talked about in segment one of the Ukrainian people, the uh, the, the president of Ukraine uh, doing a marvelous job of leading, as we've also shared about President Zelensky. Uh, but then also the, the courage of the population of Ukraine. Yeah. That's got to be talked about as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, something that didn't um didn't surprise me because we've been uh working there for over 20 years but um we we know the character and the heart of the ukrainian people in regards to hardship you know they've been mm -hmm. under the thumb of somebody's oppression for hundreds and hundreds of years and so a very young country independence wise autonomous only 30 years ago so if you can you can imagine in your in your mind the struggle of american development after our declared independence. Yeah. Imagine we're only 30 years in and, and how difficult and the, the learning curve and you know just getting used to being free and, and learning how to declare to the world that we're going to stake our lives on that position. That's where Ukraine is now. And those commitments are being tested by bad actors who want to try to deter them from that course to independence and freedom and liberty and try to control them so that they can build a buffer between the bad and the good from the East and the West. Um, and so the, the determination of the Ukrainian people has been evident to me for a very, very long time. But this escalation is what, what we call this after February 24th. They've been at war for nine years, mm -hmm. almost 10 now. And um, it's just something that has re repeated for me and enhanced for me, multiplied for me, um, this concept that Ukrainian people have a heart and a spirit that is just indomitable. Um, they sincerely believe in their own independence and their own freedom, and they will fight to the death. There will be no negotiations in this war, you know, especially if they're talking about concessions of internationally recognized borders and mm -hmm. boundaries under right. treaties, multiple treaties. Um, so they're just not going to give up on the idea of freedom. Uh, they're not going to concede uh, territory or control uh, to anyone. I would say most Americans, the part of Ukraine that most Americans would be familiar with would be what you mentioned earlier, Kiev, or yeah. as they would have pronounced it back years ago, Kiev, right. during the whole uh, nuclear re reactor incident that happened. Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Yeah. That made national news, global news, really. Um, and so people became aware of that, but not not in the sense of Ukraine as we understand it today. It was all right. part of the USSR. Yeah. Uh, it was all part of what looked like um, you know, it's just this whole big glob of the, Russia. Yeah. And, and people, I think, for the most part, have learned that when all it happened under Reagan's watch and early in the 90s with the, um, the whole fall of these countries from Russia and actually becoming democratic, hmm. uh, most of them becoming democracies, if you will, uh, yet some of them, as you've said, a lot of them, or maybe even most of them, have returned to those ways. And that reminds me a lot about, so you want to go back to Egypt. It's almost like right. they, you know, to go back with what was comfortable, even though it was slavery. Yeah, that's right. Under, you know, the thumb of a dictator, they're willing to go back. What is the difference? Why did they do that when the people of Ukraine didn't? You know, I'm not sure. I, I can't uh, imagine. And it, it, it begs the question that is very kin to that. And that is how can, you know, 140 million people under Putin's watch um, not be aware of Russia's role in the world, their MO, their modus operandi in, in the world and how they conquer and how they have this empirical mentality and how they oppress people 
how they, you know, destroy people, they're brutal, how they're committing mass executions and torture. We, we Ukrainian soldiers just discovered uh, multiple mass graves, torture chambers. Oh my goodness. For civilians. Yeah. Uh, in Ukraine. And it's just amazing to me, kind of like this idea, how can so many people go along with something like that? You know, I'm, I, the, the Nazi and Hitler thing is way overdone and we're not going to go back there. But akin to that type of question, how do so many people get deceived or how do so many people agree with things that normal human beings wouldn't go along with? I don't know. It, it, that, in my regard, that type of question lends itself to a spiritual conversation because I don't think it's conceivable for mass groups of people in the former Soviet Union or in Germany or anywhere else in the world, you know, where there are these mass executionary dictatorships that are, you know, genocide, those types of things don't happen in a, in a vacuum, but they do happen under large areas of control that's so oppressive that you cannot have access to the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening in China and uh, in Iran and Russia and other places, North Korea, where people are just completely intentionally cut off from access to Western thought. Uh, it just becomes a, a situation where it's very easy to manipulate people when they're fed this daily diet of you know. Well, how much does that sound like what's going on in America and our universities? You know, you think about America. Who would have ever believed that the young people of America would be wanting to have socialism right. here in our United States of America? Yeah, which is interesting uh, because, you know, there, there have been multiple occasions in, in Ukraine in our 20-year history there where universities and school systems and social services of the state uh, government offices have asked us to teach morals and <laughs> principles from the scriptures, from the Bible, in the public school setting or in the university setting uh, or in the social setting, in the government setting, uh, things that are sponsored by the government in order to teach character and integrity and morals and virtue and values to the people of Ukraine, whereas our schools completely restrict those things as, as if they're anathema. That's, that's a strange uh, dichotomy. And I just see the whole comparison of that to what you're describing with all these other countries that, you know, would just go back to, uh, in the face of reality, in the face of known, if they only open their eyes to it, yeah. known realities of Russia's uh, horrible treatment of people, of their butchering people. Sure. Um, Stalin's Holodomor, you know, the famine the intentionally created famine that killed millions and millions yeah. of, of Ukrainians and other uh, members of the Soviet uh, Soviet Union. Uh, just uh, genocidal, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, just psychopathy, just things that, that lend themselves to uh, mental illness or demon possession, just things that can't be conceived by normal, sane-thinking human beings, mm -hmm. you know, just... Uh, they, but, you know, anybody's capable of anything. Yeah, and, and we see that, don't we? Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> we see that all the time. If you've just tuned in, my guest today is Sean Sullivan. Sean leads Mission 823, a mission that goes out to Ukraine and has done this for years. I know that uh, I, I go back to, again, that first interview that we had, even before our studios up here were completed. We were sitting over in a little office not far from here, and uh, had a couple of microphones on the desk that we were in. And I'm hearing this story of your background, of your military career, and how that you had it in your heart to go on this mission field and something opened up. I mean, you've served as a, as an, uh, a pastor on staff yeah. in, in the Central Florida area, yeah. but God called you to do this. You would have had no way of knowing the import of what you're doing in this kind of context. Yeah, it's a... It, it's a, a I, I tell people we've had the weirdest and, and most adventurous life of anybody I could have imagined. And I didn't, I didn't ask for that. I could have never imagined myself here. But uh, a used car salesman walked up to me in the lobby in our church where I was serving as a children's pastor and associate pastor here in Orlando. 
And he said, Sean, I'm taking a short-term mission trip to Ukraine. Do you want to go? I said, sure. Where's that? <laughs> you know, that? and then, uh, that's I'll, right. I think I'll, that's very, that would be everybody's, uh, that's, that's answer true. back in the but, day. But then contrast that with, um, this last trip when, when we were there in October, prior to my December trip, uh, 2022, um, we were there specifically to meet with the officers administration building for the armed forces of Ukraine, working for the administration of the government of, of Ukraine, for our entire team to be awarded medals for support for the nation of Ukraine and for the armed forces of Ukraine. Yeah. I would have never imagined that we would we would be participating in anything at that level, just providing by God's help and God's grace and through a lot of partners who are probably listening to us right now, that enable us to be able to do this work that God's called us to do. And it's just been a, a super privilege, just a high and holy privilege for us to be able to serve in that way. Well, I love seeing that happen, man. And it is so clear that all of this has not changed you one iota. And I appreciate that. I mean, your heart to serve, your heart for the Lord, your heart for Ukraine and its people, it's very evident. And, you know, we here in America, we hear bits and pieces. And I've just come this last week, Sean, uh, where I have to say I'm freshly shocked at the reports that I read. And, and it reminds me of that old saying that I learned when I was in college one of my communication professors told told us all back then, he said, never believe anything you you hear and only half of what you see. That's correct. That's <laughs> never correct. believe anything you hear and and uh, only half of what, I'm not even sure that we should believe anything, anywhere near half of what we see in this day and age. Yep, that's right. But recently, and I think I am going to call out some names on this because I think we all need to realize that we've got to be very careful about who we believe, what we are hearing, and how much stock we put into what is said on Fox News. Now, I, you know, I would, I would, I would believe something on Fox News most of the time over what I would hear on one of the other mainstream news channels. Trust and verify, though. Yeah, you, yeah. but that's the key. Yeah. And even with Tucker Carlson, I would have to say that of all of the commentators that are out there. Tucker Carlson shakes up a lot of trees and he, and a lot of what he says is not only good, but it's kind of ground shaking. I've found uh, Tucker Carlson to be one of my favorite analysts in the kind of a Fox News world. And I get my I'm not an exclusive Fox News right wing mm -hmm. you know, ex extremist. I'm a conservative. I vote conservative. As am I. Yeah. And, and I get my information from multiple sources and do my very best within, you know, there's control of everything. And you hear what people want you to hear. But we do our best to try to weed through that and get to the, the bottom line, the truth. is. So I get my news from multiple sources, my information from multiple sources. But Tucker Carlson um, in on the Fox News Channel has been one of the best analysts of m contemporary situations that, that I've seen. But there's been a couple of times about this Ukraine situation that he's just completely and absolutely uninformed. It seems that way as well with uh, his interview with Tulsi Gabbard just mm. this past week. And if you missed it, it's worth going back and seeing because uh, we've got people on the inside that I've found out about. And all of this came up at a New Year's Eve gathering with some friends. And I brought up the fact that I'd seen this report and felt pretty comfortable in the accuracy of the report. Turns out it was completely wrong. And the report had to do with uh, basically, I mean, it's concerning when you think about it this way. It basically said that the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, President Zelensky, was clamping down on Christian churches. Yeah, and Tucker Carlson went further than, than that and said that uh, President Zelensky and his administration were openly persecuting uh, mainline denominations in Ukraine and oppressing Christianity um, in Ukraine, which is completely and absolutely fallacious. Oh, yeah, it's not there. And so I'm going to have you explain exactly what what is happening and has happened. But all of that to say is that as I'm sharing with this, some of our friends that are there at this meeting have uh, you know close contact, ongoing. Uh, overseeing contact with some of the pastors that we have that are actually in Ukraine, right. as a matter of fact, even in the Kiev area. Yeah. 
And they said, wow, I've not heard anything about that. And so, uh, you know, the next day I'm getting a a text message back. And thankfully they were refuting that story. And they called it, the pastors I'm talking about now in Ukraine, called it a false narrative. It absolutely is. And um, what this whole thing spawns out of is an edict that came from President Zelensky's administration to clamp down. Now you have to understand the context of everything that I'm about to say. We're talking about a country that is at war, a country that is under martial law from every border, right? So the entire nation is under martial law. Right. They're being attacked by not only Russians on the front, but by saboteurs and special agents inside the country disguising themselves as Ukrainians. Okay, so it's an internal and an external fight to ward off the destruction of their entire country and way of life. This is a genocide war. Russia is waging a war to wipe the idea, the concept of Ukraine off of the map, similar to what Iran says about Israel. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that level of just pure hatred, disgust for this concept of Ukraine even existing. So when people at the front are fighting, we understand that conflict. That makes sense to us. Soldiers shooting against soldiers. What we don't always remember is that there are operations going on uh, of other operators, other agents trying to insert themselves into the country to undermine the efforts of the country to secure itself and to sabotage what's going on and even to run covert operations of their own inside the country to try to disrupt order uh, and disable uh, the uh, the capabilities of, of the country. And that's what was happening with the Russian patriarchate of the Orthodox Church in Ukraine. So, now I'm going to have you hold right there because that church is the, the kind of the worthy recipient of that kind of report. Not all churches in Ukraine. So I'm going to have you finish that after the break. We're up against a break right now. My guest, Sean Sullivan from Mission 823. We'll be right back. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Ooh, this uh, this program's going by too quickly for me. Sean Sullivan, my guest here in the studio, in the Shepherd Studios in Orlando. We're talking about Ukraine, and in particular, just to, if you've just joined us, I want to make sure you're up to date as to the context of what this discussion has been about. Uh, recently on Fox News Channel, Tucker Carlson did an interview with Tulsi Gabbard, and basically uh, what Sean is telling us, it wasn't just Tulsi's words about concern over the treatment of Christian churches in Ukraine, but you're saying that Tucker kind of doubled down on all of that yes, he and did. basically said that there's pros- uh, like uh, some sort of persecution going on of uh, churches and pastors by President Zelensky, and we find out that none of that in this widespread way is true. Now, it's not to say that there's no concern about any church. There is concern about one group, and that's where you were. Yes, sir. We're talking about um, the intimation that, well, it was was a a blatant statement that President Zelensky's administration is openly persecuting Christianity in Ukraine, which is absolutely and completely false. He's uh, allowed the complete liberty of all religious faiths, uh, Muslims, some uh, groups that we would consider to be non, uh, non-conventional or non-Orthodox. Not Christian. Yeah, non-Christian. He's been very, very open to religious freedom of expression um, in the country and uh, continued to uphold the constitution of uh, Ukraine, which also uh, upholds all of those things. But recently, uh, Tucker Carlson, Tulsi Gabbard, even Donald Trump Jr. and some others are uh, echoing, parroting these things that are being said about persecution of Christianity in, in Ukraine. And, and this is what's actually happened. 
uh, people under martial law who are fighting for their own liberty, for their own freedom in a war that's been uh, propagated by and started by Russian forces outside of the countries, at the border, inside the country in the Donbass region, and then to a large-scale border-to-border missile, rocket, and artillery attacks all over the country. This is a war that stretches from one border to the other in Ukraine, north to south, east to west, and they're being attacked viciously and unprovoked on a daily basis for the last 10 months. Um, And in the process of a war, you understand there is the military action front with people who are wearing uniforms, and then there is the covert front, kind of the black ops, the covert situations, people who are running operations to commit subterfuge, to commit sabotage, to undermine the resources and the capabilities of the of the uh, the host country if if you will um and that's what's been happening not with uh all churches or all denominations but with one in particular and that is the russian or the moscow patriarchate of the orthodox church of ukraine which has been allowed up until this point to operate freely even though they've been openly russian leaning and r- spouting Russian propaganda for the last eight years of this war, they began to participate in open sabotage and open treason, open subterfuge, conducting operations, enabling, facilitating operations inside Ukraine that are acts of treason. It's been, in other words, are agents of Russia. They are absolutely agents of Moscow, uh, agents of Putin working directly for Moscow to undermine the capabilities of Ukrainian forces and the nation. And what they did was this edict from the president of Ukraine was to investigate, right? So find the truth first. Once those ideas or those perpetrators are vetted as to be bad actors, then they are arrested And they are put in prison just like anybody in the country who would be committing acts of treason to undermine the war efforts of a a country that's trying to defend itself. That's what's happening in Ukraine is he's arresting saboteurs, agents of Russia who are trying to undermine Ukrainian capabilities as they fight for freedom against Russia. They've been facilitating operations against Ukraine from inside Ukraine. Those people are being arrested as they should be, as I should be, as anybody who's committing those type, types of acts in, inside of a country that's struggling for its own liberty, that's declared martial law, that's imposed on every citizen and every foreign national that's there. They're just defending themselves. And so Tucker Carlson is completely exaggerated and blown out of proportion and misrepresented Uh, this idea that there's any type of open or blatant or blanket persecution of Christianity in Ukraine. It's just absolutely not true. I just watched an interview with a a friend who is a chaplain now on the front lines, but he works at the Kiev Theological Seminary. Mm. Uh, And he gave an interview to a, a, a podcast host just recently and said, that's absolutely false. There's more religious freedom probably in Ukraine than there is in the United States. That's right what now. I would wonder too. The other, so, uh, the other yeah. question is, uh, for Tucker Carlson, for Tulsi Gabbard, for Donald Trump Jr., is when were they in Ukraine last? Because I was there just two weeks ago. And okay. I, was there, I was there in October. And I was there in June. And I was there in February. And I'm going again in February of, of this year. Uh, next so, month. Yeah, when were they there and saw these things? Where are they getting their information from? And then spouting it, you know. So my my son calls this uh, spewing ignorance with authority, and that's basically what they've done: is use their platform to spew this lie, right, with authority. And people are, uh, you know, obviously believing them because we've watched them for such a long time. But that's just something that I take real issue with. He's you know, the ironic thing about this, Sean, is that. That's fake news. I mean, which is very ironic. It is very ironic, isn't it? But here's the deal. That night when I first brought that up and my friends are sitting around a room, we're talking. And I mean, I'm like, I'm shaking in my boots because I realized I just, I just believed. And now that story was questioned. And I'm thinking, you know, you're right. I've not been in Ukraine either. And so I'm as guilty as the next person for sharing a report that I would have thought was very plausible that had been vetted. I get on my phone 
and I'm while I'm there, I'm over at the table with the cheese ball, my friend, <laughs> and I've got my phone out and I'm typing up the story about persecution of churches in Ukraine, and uh, up pops up a New York Times article of that same day of New, right. of the 31st of December, and in the New York Times article, they've got the story just as you told it. That's correct. And, which is also ironic. Which is very ironic. Yeah. So we're getting a more accurate news story from the New York Times on who to believe that. Yeah, uh, I've found in the course of this, uh, the, the last 10 months, especially in the early few weeks when we were running emergency evacuation from people who were under fire, uh, we were getting the latest news from correspondents on the ground. And I, I don't know that I've ever seen a Fox News correspondent in Ukraine. That's a good point. But Al Jazeera was there. BBC was there. CNN was there, right? Uh, the New York Times has representatives there. But Fox News is reporting this outlandish story that's really defamatory uh, uh, about Ukraine Absolutely. without vetting their sources. And, uh, and I don't know that they have any firsthand knowledge of what's going on. We regularly, in the Chaplain Corps, we work with the military uh, uh, extensively, not exclusively. We work with a lot of civilian NGOs, but we work with the military because they can get to places where we can't. So we cooperate with those guys. So Chaplain Corps, uh, working with pastors from all different denominations, we're shoulder to shoulder on the war front with Protestant denominations, with Muslims, with Orthodox, with Catholics, with Jews. There is no religious persecution in Ukraine. You know, I'm hoping they walk this back. Yeah. I'm hoping that they retract this story and apologize for it. Yeah. Because, you know, they're looked at still to this day as a real leader in American news in for the conservative front. Yeah, yeah conservative thought. Yeah. And, and so it, it's got to be walked back or, or it's really going to be damaging in my mind. Yeah. Because now we've got people on the inside refuting that and saying, no, 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 yeah. no. That's not true at all. So thank you for bringing us up to date on that. Yeah. It is a church, like you said, a church that is basically serving as an agent of Russia, sabotaging, uh, doing functional spy work, I they guess. Yeah. Covert uh, operations. Covert yeah. operations. And that is the group that uh, the president is really clamping down on, and rightfully and, so. And not the group as a whole, even. He's uh, selecting individuals who have been... Uh, accused of participating in these, and he's selecting individuals from one denomination. He's not clamping down on an entire faith system. He's selecting individuals that have been committing crimes under martial law in Ukraine, and he's arresting those people who are criminals. That's all. Oh. Now, our time is kind of going by too quickly, my friend. Uh, we've got three minutes left. Tell us about what Mission 823 is currently about. You said you're going back in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, so there's two major fronts. We've always been about our core uh, work is to serve uh, at-risk and traumatized children in, and their families in, in Ukraine. That's kind of our core. We've pivoted significantly to try to meet those same needs from a very different perspective. Now, because of the war, you just have to pivot and do things differently. Uh, and so two major fronts right now that we're addressing. One is humanitarian supply and evacuation. So on the humanitarian side, wood burning stoves because there's no electricity or mm -hmm. gas available. The infrastructure has been bombed severely. Water filtration systems because there's no running pure water in many of these areas. Food packets where food is in limited supply. Uh, providing generators for electricity for life-giving stuff that's absolutely critical. Uh, and then evacuation and transport of people and sheltering of refugees. So that's mm. all on the uh, on the humanitarian uh, front. Uh, on the other side of things, what people really haven't brought up too much is this uh, understanding of not only the physical trauma that's occurring, the destruction of buildings and people's lives physically, but their emotional and psychological trauma. There is more incidence of acute stress disorder and PTSD, uh, prolonged chronic stress that's conflict related among the civilian population than there is with the military. We're accustomed to hearing about PTSD from somebody that came back from Afghanistan and that sort of thing. These are hundreds of thousands, millions of people, women and children primarily, who are manifesting severe symptoms of long-term ongoing wow. PTSD from conflict 
from residential communities. And so the other aspect of our mission right now is to launch and sustain uh, nationwide trauma relief and treatment programs using specialized uh, peer counseling techniques that are coming from Dr. Guarneri's office, the National De-Escalation Training Center, a specialist, Vietnam veteran, uh, ran PTSD clinics for the VA, uh, instrumental in uh, developing the Department of Homeland Security, lots and lots of experience that's, uh, that's vital to us rolling out things for the Ministry of Defense, for the soldiers, but also for the civilian population. Um, and so that's our major front right now is the ability to be able to scale these trauma relief programs that we're, we're working on. That's one of the reasons why I'm going in February. That's a great mission that you're doing. Sean Sullivan, Mission 823. You know, give us the ways that people can contact you and maybe give to yeah, you. Absolutely. Um, uh, in regards to giving, there's a critical need right now when we were in Avdivka. Uh, our vehicles, because, you know, we're learning as we go, we've never had to camouflage anything before, but now we wear ballistic materials and camouflage. Uh, our vehicle uh, is a large Mercedes Sprinter and a large white cargo truck. Well, that sticks out like a sore thumb mm-hmm. against a brown background. There was no snow on the ground. And Russian drones were targeting uh, military and civilians who were participating in humanitarian, uh, humanitarian aid. And that caused some real problems for the region. Everybody survived, mm-hmm. but um, we, we had to uh, make some changes. So we have to find faster, lighter vehicles. I need two Toyota Hilux trucks that we can pick up locally. We're going to camouflage, paint them, and use those for rapid delivery and evacuation. So if you want to find out more about Mission 823, you can go to our website at Mission 823. That's the numbers, 823. Uh, dot com. Mission823.com is where you can give. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization registered in the state of Florida and at the federal level, so all of your donations are tax deductible. And you could find us on Facebook at Mission823 and on Instagram at Mission823INC. I've loved having you up here, my friend. Good to be here. Appreciate you. Man, oh man. Sean Sullivan, Mission823. Thank you for being with us, friends. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. <music>